Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to episode eight of my Mavericks podcast. Thank you very, very much indeed for joining me. Today's conversation is with someone that I regard as one of the most important retailers in the world. Um, it's with Nigel House, who is the owner of the chain of Rough Trade record stores. Why do I say that he's one of the most important retailers in the world? I think that as a, a massive lover of music, I have a really strong sense that the independent record shop is a critical part of the ecosystem of spreading the word about new records, new music, and, and with, we can all listen to music online and we can find it out by algorithm recommendations, but fundamentally, nothing surpasses the joy and in many ways, I suppose, the efficiency of going into an independent record store. And Nigel has been running Rough Trade in West London and now has a number of other stores since the very early 1980s. And his passion and his commitment, not just to music, but also to his customers, is, is really unusual. So I asked Nigel if he would sit down uh, with me and he very kindly agreed. And we sat down in my office in London on Monday the 10th of July uh, there's a bit of building work going on upstairs, so uh, th there may be a little bit of noise of saws and things. But we had a chat about record shops and his life and the importance of music to him and his passion and running business. And this is what he said. Uh, so without any further ado, thanks to my friend Jim Friend for editing this. And here is Nigel House. You've been in that shop since 1980. <laughs> yes. And you, when did you buy the, re the record shop business? Well, I came to London in 1977 to do, to do geography at King's Cross, but really it's to do punk rock. Really, that's the, the sole reason I came to London. Um, and I still have these sort of dreams about I should be in the library doing some work when I wasn't. I was just out going to gigs, buying records. So, anyway, anyway, so um, that's why I came to London. And then, so I did my degree and then I was doing a postgraduate degree in landscape architecture, which was a one day a week thing at Goldsmiths. And I couldn't get a job. It was, I suppose, the start of the 80s. Um, and it's sort of Margaret Thatcher and it's hard to get jobs. Anyway, I'd been buying all my records from Rough Trade and they needed somebody to work there. I took over Steve Jamieson's job and um, so I started there. I mean, they asked me if I wanted to work there, of course I did. And um, so I started there. After about six months, uh, the accountants at Rough Trade were going to shut the shop. So the three of us who worked there, me and Pete and Jude, uh, we said to them, OK, we'll buy it from you then. So this was on Kensington Park Road. Um, and so Jeff was obviously really happy about that because, you know, he's always been not a retailer, but he loves selling records. You know? Yeah, he's so a passionate music he's man. Totally, really. yeah. yeah. And so he was really, and he started the shop and, you know, his, his love, I mean, I suppose he'd moved on to the label. He wasn't that, ever that interested in distribution, I don't think. But, um, you know, he was great. I think he was really pleased to see us taking on because mm. he knew he could rely on us and trust us to sort of carry on in the right way, which, you know, I think we have done. So we bought the shop from him. Um, we, you know, paid for the stock. We had to move from Kensington Park Road to Talbot Road, 130 Talbot Road. And we've been here since 1981, I think it was, when we moved here. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So you were, you were, I mean, it seems to me that, I was thinking about this earlier, there is no other shop that does what a record shop does to people. I mean, even bookshops don't seem to elicit the same level of 
passion and conversation, I don't think. Do you think that's right? Um, I think there are shops out there. I think that you have to work at it, obviously, and I think in a small shop like the Talbot Road one, it's easy to do that. People come into the shop, you can, you know, you can talk to them, they have to come to the counter, whereas the bigger shops, it's quite hard to, uh, you know, communicate with people. And I think also, personally, I love it. I love sort of talking to people. I was talking to some people just now about, you know, a guy who came from Palestine to come here buy some records. It's like amazing, you know, and a guy, some people have just been to Tom Petty. And you just meet so many interesting people. And you're part of their, if yes. not their whole reason for coming to London. Yes, exactly, yeah. 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 And it's, um, and I just love that thought that people, you know, he's come from Palestine to come to our shop. And I just think that's fantastic. You know, you have, to make it, you have to make it worth his while. You have to sort of like really, yeah, you don't want him to go away thinking, oh, it's okay. You want him to come in and think, wow, that was great. He looked after me, got some great records. He gave me a slip mat. Oh, I'll come back, I'll tell my friends. You know, and I think that is so much a part of it. And I think in retail, you have to have that passion to sort of sell, you have to have that passion to sell records, but also you have to have the knowledge as well. It's quite hard to find people who have both. You, you, know, you can find any number of mainly men with a beard who can, who've got amazing knowledge, but you know, they can't sell a record. And so punk was your thing, and, and yeah. the, the posters on the wall are still mainly punk and reggae from Yes. 70s, aren't yeah. they? The, yeah, they are. I mean, I'd always loved music. I suppose uh, I can remember, oh, you know, the first band I ever saw was um, the Pink Fairies and Hawkwind at Glastonbury Town Hall. And my mum took me, you know, I must have been 15, I think. And you just think, I mean, I just always loved music. I can remember going to see Pink Floyd doing Dark Side of the Moon in 1974 in Bristol. And it was just so boring. I mean, so was boring. It? That was really the start of, I suppose, it was the start of, for me, of thinking, God, there must be something out there other than that. I still can't listen to that record now. We sell millions of it, but I still can't listen to it because I can't separate it out from seeing them and thinking, God. So that made me listen to Hawkwind. And uh, I, was, I was listening to them already, but more gonzo things like Black Sabbath and things like that. And then pretty soon after that, blues. I love blues. And I used to come to London to go to Dobell's on um, Charing Cross Road to buy records from there. And then I suppose that was, you know, then Dr. Feelgood and Eddie and the Hot Rods and then, you know, punk rock. Punk came along. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Straight exactly. away. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, um, Did you have the look? <laughs> well, it's hard to imagine now because I've only ever seen you in, I think, T-shirt, yes, shorts yes. and buzz cut. Uh, I have to say, I, yeah, I dyed my hair. I used to, you know, I used to love Adam and the Ants and I used to wear, you know, Vivian Westwood bondage trousers with a kilt. Real, uh, real Vivian Westwood. Yeah, I've still got them. Are there any um, photos that I can? Uh, thankfully, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, just as well. My children find it hard to believe, but my wife saw me in them, so uh, she knows that. Um, but yeah, I was never, I never wore safety pins or anything like that, but I did, you know, I did like Adam and the Ants. And punk did it, that was what did it for you. That's what really got your passion flowing, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, I suppose it was, you know, out with the old, in with the new. Yes. And it was just so fantastic, you know, you just think, you know, I can just remember, you know, Fleetwood Mac in their sort of entourage of, you know, a limousine each, an aeroplane each, and the cocaine and the the whole drugs thing is just like horrible. And you just think, you know, there must be something better than that. So when, you know, the clash and the pistols, and then really, and I suppose the subway sect, you know, the slits, all those sorts of people came along. It's just like, oh, this is. What so it's now you've about. got. I mean, now obviously you've got you know grime and trap and all the rest yeah. of it that are doing that. Yeah. Have you always tried? To, you, you don't try to be all things to all people at Rough Trade, do you? 
No, but we do try and, I mean, we do, uh, this shop here has got amazing posters and amazing sleeves from, you know, we've got this poster of the Anarchy Tour when all the, when lots of the shows were cancelled and then we've got the original poster with that with sort of crosses where the shows didn't show. But we don't, we never wanted to be a, a museum, you know, no. we want to be current, we want to be new, we want to be, you know, modern, this is the new interesting stuff. Um, and we always, you know, although we're a kind of an indie shop, we never, we don't just sell indie music, you know. No, it's, well, very much not. I mean, no. you're a champion of huge champions of folk music. Exactly, you? yeah. And anything, I mean, you know, I think it was Louis Armstrong who said there's two sorts of music, good and bad, you know. We just try and sell good music, and it doesn't matter whether it's sort of grime or, you know, house or country. But who, so with, with a big, with a, a huge amount of music out there and a yeah. relatively small team, how do you employ the right people, stroke, find out, you know, what is really interesting and current? Because if you're not interesting and current, mm. you really are failing, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, I mean, I suppose that's my job to find all the kind of interesting things. It's Sean and I, really, who do that. And it's, it's you know, you work, that's why I like working in the shop behind the counter, because you hear, you know, you just hear what's going on. People are asking, have you got so-and-so? Or you can play things. It really is like high fidelity. And you play that record on Saturday afternoon and people say, oh, what's this? I haven't heard this before. I love this. And mm. it really is like that. Oh, it happens to me all the time when yeah, I'm in there. exactly. Yeah. It's so important what you play in the shop. I mean, I think it's important in all shops these days. I think people are so much more sophisticated now about what they listen to. I mean, I can remember in the old days, you'd go into Top Shop or something, they'd be playing Radio 1 or something like that. Yes. But so, uh, have you ever had a period of years where you've actually just lost the passion for music, where you've been kind of fed up? And you... No. Is that really true? <laughs> yes. You've never had that? I mean, I suppose you do go through, I mean, there's always, I mean, I suppose there's some good years and some bad years, aren't there? And you just sort of think, oh, there's not much out this year. But that's you, not the music, isn't it, normally? Yes, but I mean, you know, I'm always thinking, oh, there must be, there's always something out there. There's always something. I know, but it's I, there is always something out there. Yeah. It's whether you have the passion to connect to it. Because when I was in the music industry, yeah. working kind of, you know, in the industry yeah. rather than retail, yeah. I realised after a few years that I'd almost completely loved my, lost my love of music because I was thinking, how did they get to number 10? Or, <laughs> yes. you know... How, yeah. how, how did they shift that amount, yeah. or why have they got why have they got a gatefold and I haven't, or whatever? And <laughs> no. then you know, so my the whole way I perceive music yeah. has changed. But you've never you've never no, sadly enough, not, no. I still love it, and I go home and I listen to music when I get home as well. In a different way, you know, when you're in the shop, you're putting on things that you think you know people want to hear, just interesting new things. Whereas at home, I can listen to what I want to listen to, and it's um, yeah, no. It's, you're a big advocate of the CD as well, aren't you? Still. Yeah. I find that, I mean, are you really, or are you just saying that because um, you sell a lot of CDs? A bit of both, really. I mean, I, you know, I'm easy, to me, it's, what a, it's, it's not about formats, it's about what's on the format, you know, and I don't really care if it's a, you know, CD, a vinyl, a uh, cassette, I'm not, you know, a fan of at all, and downloads, not at all, but, you know, the... It's really about what's on there. And if I have to buy it on vinyl, I will. If I have to buy it on CD, I will. Okay, so, yeah. You know, there's, you... there's some people who, who won't buy it. There's a guy in the shop a minute ago, I was playing this new Sam Baker record, who I love, and it's only on CD. He said, oh, this is great. What's this, Sam Baker? Well, it's only on CD. Well, I'm not going to buy it then. It's just like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've gone back to only buying vinyl, mm. but, but everything does come out eventually. Yes. And, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm someone who will um, listen to it on 
iTunes and, yeah. then, and then buy them. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I sometimes read books on my iPad and yeah. then buy the buy, book. Because yes, yeah. I like having them. Yeah. See, I think I, there are plenty of people like that. Yes, aren't there? yeah. I mean, I don't really do that so much, but I just think that I remember when CDs first came in and everybody said, right, that's it, vinyl's dead. And they just literally almost overnight, you know, Virgin, HMV, our price, almost overnight, as soon as enough catalogue of CDs, they stopped selling vinyl just like that, even though people still wanted them. And people still do want CDs. And if you look at, you know, it's different for different releases, I know. But, you know, vinyl is still only like 10 or 15% of the total market. Yes. You know, it's crazy, you know, and yet people are saying, right, we should stop selling CDs. I'm no, saying, but I think people know. are talking more, when they're saying that, they're not talking about the industry that's stopping selling mm. CDs. Yeah. I suspect they're thinking more of specialist shops. Yes, yeah. Well, I think that... I think that'd be a real mistake. I mean, I think there's still some great CD labels out there. Ace, Numero... Um, Lighting the attic up to a point, but you know, put out great compilations. You know, think of Ace, you know, 28 tracks beautifully put together, you know, great um, sleeve notes. I mean, they're just fantastic. Yes, yeah. We're about halfway through the conversation now. Um, unfortunately, we had to stop for a bit because someone was using a such a loud saw upstairs that. Um, we knew that it would completely submerge the conversation. So we popped out for um, a cup of coffee and when we came back, we started talking about his record store in Brooklyn, which is one of the biggest record stores in America. Before <laughs> vinyl became the thing, yep. you started on this amazing expansion and opened the, um, the biggest independent record yes. store in Europe, yep. and now you've gone off to America and, yep. and opened a vast space in Brooklyn, yep. and you've got a shop in Nottingham. And that's right. So what, that, that's really changing what you do in terms of your focus, isn't it? I suppose we've always, even though we've had, we, had, we did have small shops until 10 years ago, we always wanted to have a bigger shop. And when we were in Covent Garden, we had skateboards upstairs and records downstairs, and the lease came to an end, to an end and the the amount the landlord was asking for was some crazy amount of money. And so we looked around, and, Ni and Covent Garden, Neil's Yard, for us, had become too touristy, too mainstream, really. When we moved there in, whenever it was, 20 years before, it was still a really cool, interesting, developing place. It's hard to imagine now, but, I mean, Covent Garden was right in the centre of London, but it was still the market, and it's still kind of quite rough around the edges. <clears throat> and then we moved in there... Um, I can remember we moved next door to Neil's Yard Cheese and I can remember listening to the farming programme one morning because my children were young. And uh, Randolph, I think, from the Neil's Yard was a bit grumpy about a record shop moving in next door. Oh, really? Door. <laughs> yeah, to Neil's Yard. It's, yeah, this place is going downhill, and, uh, which I laughed at. But anyway, so the lease came to an end. So we looked around and we found this place in Truman's Brewery, where we are now, that was huge. And it was everything we always wanted our record shop to be. And, you know, we could have a cafe there, we could have bands play there properly. Um, and it was the same amount of money as we were playing in Covent Garden. Yes. I mean, this was ten, it was 10 years ago, exactly. And things have changed around there so much. And it's not got to the Covent Garden levels yet, but it's become, you know, so popular around there. And I suppose we were not lucky because, you know, I think you make your own luck, but we just happened to be in the right place at the right time. We found this great space. It suited us perfectly. I mean, I can remember when we moved in, you got to learn so much so fast. It took us two years, I should think, before we really understood how to make a shop like that work. It was, right. you know, you go from 
a new release and just having a couple of copies out in the racks to having a, this huge space. I can remember when just after we opened, you know, I thought we had plenty of PJ Harvey albums. It's a new release, new release day, and somebody came in asking for the PJ Harvey album. I thought, well, we got it. It's, can't you see it just there? And it's like one little CD there, you know. But you realize you have to make, you know, statements. You have to have it yes. bold. Stack you know, it like exactly, a... Yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. And we learned that pretty quickly. And I have to say, with vinyl these days, that makes it so much easier. Because mm. you can make it, you can put a big load of vinyl and the CD next to it, and people can see that. Yes. Know? And it's, you can never, you know, you have to make it really obvious to people, bump, there's the PJ Harvey album. It was an incredibly bold move to, to, to open a gig space, a, a record store and a coffee shop. Did, did, I mean, and obviously you had to completely learn new skills yeah, as a team. Exactly, yeah, did, exactly. did, did people say you were nuts? Um, or did people know that you knew what you were doing? Um, I think people trusted us. This is when we got involved with um, Martin at Beggars and um, he could obviously see what we wanted to do. This was the investor. Yes, exactly, yeah. Martin. Yeah, so XL yeah. Records invested money in us to open this shop at the, 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 the um, Brick Lane shop. Because obviously they could see how it could work. Obviously Martin had seen shops in America that were that size that worked. And um, I suppose it was, I mean, it was pretty crazy, I guess, at the time, if you think that shops were closing that was the yes. low point of record shops closing a record shop every week was closing yeah, or something exactly, unbelievable yeah. like that exactly. yeah i suppose we just looked around and looked around in london just thinking well, not, there's nowhere else doing this I mean, people still want to buy music i mean i suppose we were always buoyed by the fact that you know customers keep coming in we keep getting busier new customers come in you just sort of think well actually people do want this you know if you build it they will come and but yeah. you had a you said you had a couple of scary years to do where you yes. couldn't quite get it right yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i mean it was that's it, horrendous isn't it oh god yeah really horrible yeah. especially when it's your house on the line and uh which mine was is and you just sort of think oh, you know but you just have to keep sort of you know believing and it's worked it's worked really well yes and yes it has i mean it's still really hard to make money from it really hard and it's so marginal the whole thi whole thing i mean i guess these days it's not quite as price competitive as it used to be i mean i can remember when amazon first started and they were doing cds for less than we could buy them for and that was hard then but these days amazon don't seem to be i think they've realized there's no point selling cds or music for no margin because actually it doesn't drive people to their site yes. you know they can do better things than that and make more money from it. and so they only ever use music just to you know draw people in to do other things i think and um so actually we you know we're, we're not the cheapest we're not the most expensive but you you know you can make a proper margin there isn't you know we never we never went down that road of cutting prices just to sell stuff no and people are coming to you for value of a different sort yes, anyway exactly, for the yeah. value of the experience yes yeah, exactly yeah and so in in brooklyn which i've been to which yeah. is is a cavernous space yeah you, you're you're substantially being driven by putting on shows there aren't you yes i mean uh, um, well, not unfortunately, but we don't run the shows in the Brooklyn shop, so it's a different model, really. And so we have shows on there <clears throat> that we don't book and sometimes are not product-related, whereas all the shows we put on in the East London shop are generally sort of product-related. So, you, you know, a band has got an album out, you buy the album, get a wristband to see the band play. So it's a proper venue in Brooklyn. It's fantastic. You know, I've seen some amazing bands there, and it's great. Um, and it brings people in, but it's not that immediate... Um, sort of payoff. So I was there not very long ago, and this guy 
was buying some records said oh you know he said oh this is the first time I've been here actually it's not the first time I came here to see a band 18 months ago and I remembered and came back and I've just come back to buy some records you think blimey yeah that took a long time <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah but you have to sort of understand that you know people do come for the shows but often they won't buy records or CDs at the show, but they will come back. That's did people you... know in America, did people know the Rough Trade brand as much as you thought they did when um, you got out there? It's funny, yeah, I think people see the Rough Trade brand in different ways. I mean, I know this, you know, from people who work for us and uh, customers, they see it in lots of different ways. And in America, I think Rough Trade is just inextricably linked with the Smiths. You know, and that's how they see it. They just see it as the Smiths. They don't really know that the shop's been going for 40 years or the label's been going for you know, almost as long. The Smiths are on rough trade, therefore it must be good, exactly, even if it's yeah. not the same exactly, business. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's very odd. Um, but generally but your brand is something that I, I'm really interested in because it seems to me, uh, having the shop next door for you know, nearly 10 years now and, and being here a lot, that there's an incredible affection for it. Yeah. That people are really, yeah. you know, both local people and yeah. tourists, so yeah. feel it very warmly. But it's almost as if you've deliberately haven't done anything on purpose for that. So most people work on their branding very overtly. Yeah. But you guys have done this in a very intelligently subtle way. Well, I think... <coughs> which, is, which, is, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm yeah, admirous. I'm yes, not yeah, saying... Yeah, yeah, Well, I think that... <sighs> Brands, are, you know, I don't really understand them. That's what Stephen looks after. That's his thing. But, you know, I always say that what we are, we're a record shop and we sell music. And you should never, ever forget that. That's what we always try and be. We always try and be to the best that we can be, you know, selling music, you know, better than anybody else. That's what I always want to do. Quicker on things, you know, better on things, doing more interesting things. And that's what it's about. And that kind of pays off after you know, years of doing it, I suppose people realise that actually they do know what they're doing. Yes, yeah, so your brand, in other words, your brand simply comes from absolute excellence and then everything else follows on. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what we try and do. I mean, that's what I've always tried to do. You know, you just have to be on the nail all the time. You know, you really do... It's so easy to take your foot off the pedal. Um, you've really got to concentrate on getting those interesting sort of records in that... Other people, other people might have it, but it's the one, the ones you get behind, you're the ones that you're saying that Rough Trade is saying this is a great record. You should try this, and that's the thing. I mean, one of the, I mean, we've done lots of them, but I mean, one of my most, you know, rewarding ones was the Max Richter album Sleep that we did, and you know, we did it. Was it the year before last? Yeah, year before last. It was an album of the month, and um, it's probably our best-selling album that year. Um, but. I'd chosen it to be album of the month for September, the September before when I met with Max in Yulia in New York, funnily enough. And I just said, you know, I don't mind, you know, I don't need to hear it. I just need to, I just think that the time is right for that style yes. of music. You know, it's trying to tap into that zeitgeist, I suppose, kind of early on. Yes. And I was really pleased it did so well. I mean, people loved it. And it just happened to, you know, tap into the right thing at the right time, you know. And, I mean, you still sell so many of Max's records. And um, we worked closely with him. But it was just great to sort of just, you know, things sort of slotted into But, of course, you do, yeah, but uh, to an extent that you are, you're not following, you know, you are no, the leaders exactly, of, the, yes. of the zeitgeist, yeah, aren't you? Exactly. But you have to hear things it is you know it's partly driven by say Niels Fram on a raised tapes and it's just that's why I like working in the shop because you do hear these things you hear what people are buying you see what people are buying hear what they're listening to and it kind of informs you our customers are often sort of 
up, you know, ahead of the curve. And that's what you always try and do. You want to be slightly behind the head of the curve because you want to have things that you can sell. You know, there's no point having... We had a girl who worked in our shop in New York. who was great, Emmy. She's really good. But she was tipping things on Instagram and Twitter, of, you know, things you can only get on Bandcamp. And yes. It's yeah. great, but you know you can't sell them. No, and as no. a retailer, that's no good. That's you know, the last thing you, know, you exactly. want. Exactly, it's kind of good to sort of tip things, but you know it's kind of good if you can sell them as well. So, have the major labels, record labels, supported you on the whole? I mean, do they? So you talked about um, Beggars Banquet and yeah. XL, yeah. you know, being behind you because I imagine they think that a record shop is an important place, yes, an important part of their. Yes. The, the whole industry. Have, yeah. the, have the record industry supported you and the other independents um, robustly enough, particularly during this time when everyone was saying all physical music sales were dead? <laughs> um, when you're dealing with the man, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. You know, universal. Yes, they do look after us up to a point, but they also, you know, they do direct, you know, direct to consumer websites they do so many releases that they'll do dtc first you know before they tell the indies about what's coming out they'll be trying to sell it themselves online i mean that's i mean i think well, but that seems so weirdly foolish to me yeah no it is totally because they're presumably not making any money on that no. whole process no why don't they just leave it to the retailers and let us do the job so there's a whole ecosystem there that's a valuable ecosystem yeah because exactly. you're pulling people into their music yes, exactly, more than yeah. they're pulling people yeah. into their music. Yeah, I mean, it is incredibly frustrating sometimes that, you know, Universal... I mean, it's not just Universal. No. There's lots of them. Um, and, and bands, you know, they, bands want their D to C sites so they can sell direct, to, you know, so they can get the information and stuff like that. But sometimes you just sort of think, well, I don't think you're going to sell any more records or CDs this way. You're going to sell the same amount. You're just going to sell some of them. The retailer's going to sell some of them. And sometimes, you know, you get, you know, Universal or go out on something, coloured vinyl, they do what they can, and then they offer it out to the retailers. Now, generally speaking, we just say, well, thanks, but, you know, you've done it. You know, you, why would we want to take your sloppy seconds? Yeah, know? no one's so, going to come to us for something that hasn't really sold. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And you know, yeah. I just think sometimes they need to be a bit wiser. I suppose, in, I suppose, particularly with Universal, particularly with majors maybe, I do think that when downloads came in and Spotify came in, they thought, actually, we can get rid of physical product now. I think they'd be quite happy to get rid of physical product. So vi the vinyl resurgence, I mean, I think they're taking it on the chin. I think they'd be quite happy if the vinyl resurgence just died away. If they didn't have to deal with physical product, they could just sell directly to consumers. But then how the do they find the consumers? I mean, the well, whole exactly, point is yeah. that the record stores and yeah. the concerts and the yeah. big gigs and all the rest of exactly, it actually yeah. are where the consumers find their music. Exactly, yeah. And that's, the, that's their problem. They haven't recognised that, no, think. no, no, it's incredibly short sighted. It's weird. I know it so is being a um, so sort of spooling back a little bit. You're in the record shop and you've got you employ very friendly, very knowledgeable staff, and yet people still come in and they're a little bit anxious about yes. whether they're cool enough to <laughs> yeah. talk. Have yeah. you ever had a customer in who you've been so in awe of that you barely dared speak to them? Um, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page came in, did he? <laughs> he <And> came in <laughs> one Saturday, I was working there, and all in a row, there was Jimmy Page, Mark Ronson, and John Taylor. It's like, what is going on? And Ronson, that's fine. John Taylor, fine. They were together. But Jimmy Page, he brought up some records. And I mean, what, you know, what can you say? Yep. <laughs> did you say, I really like your work? <laughs> you know, so, but normally, I'm quite happy to talk to anybody, I sp especially musicians. It's always really interesting. Um, 
sports people, sportsmen, I kind of do get a bit more awe of awe. You know, Ian Wright comes in sometimes, you know, what do you say to Wrighty? Yes, I mean, but you, you have you, so you're a big Wolves fan. Have you ever yes. had any of the Wolves the first Wolves team massive. players or uh, substitutes or anything in? No, the closest I can come to that is um, Robert Plant, big Wolves supporter. Okay. Uh, and that's fine. I could talk to him about Wolves. That was fine. But, um, yeah, no Wolves. A few cricketers. You know, Derek Pringle, big customer. And um, he's, he's a big, you know, loves his records. And uh, he's great because, you know, we'll trade off questions. You know, I'll ask him about cricket. He'll ask me about music. And he's been in with Mike Atherton and Simon Hughes and John... Oh, I can't remember his name. So now. you're in heaven, really. So you've got footballers, yeah. cricket players, yeah. and musicians coming yeah, exactly. in. exactly. And lots of customers that you like. Exactly, it's yeah. Perfect. Exactly. You're a professional spokesman, though, aren't you, as well? I mean, you are... Every single time someone's doing a feature, a written feature, a TV feature on yes. the record stores, they, they have you in. I mean, yeah. do you think that... Actually, it never occurred to me. Are you... Are you modesty aside, regarded as the kind of godfather of independent record stores, do you think? Um... Yes and no. It's not something that I like, I have to say, but I do understand that that is how people see me. I just, you know, I'd rather, you know, I like the idea of rough trade and I don't really like that King Kim John Eel sort of like, you know, head of it, you know, I just... No, you're not the head of it, but I mean, I think it, it's, it, it, you never forget how heartening it is for people who are interested in record stores to feel there's someone championing it like you do particularly yes. modestly championing yeah what, how you do i mean i always try and keep my head down i'm always happy to do things like this and interviews and stuff like that but i don't really like i like to just <coughs> you know keep it yeah quite low-key yeah i mean yeah. i don't you know do any of the social media stuff or anything at all no and i, I and, love the know. way that you i mean you you you, also, you still have a long commute every day on your mm. brompton bike and <laughs> yes. train um, yeah that that that's that's pretty low-key but that also that must be quite exhausting, isn't it? Um, not really. You know, you just get on the train, you get off the train. Do you read books or listen to well, music or both? I don't listen to music. I'm strictly quiet carriage. And, and um, there's a couple of guys that get on within Oxford who, uh, you know, we always have a chat with to dig cotton and that's it. But um, it's okay. You know, when I first started, it was, the, you know, it was great for reading books, Moby Dick you know, Seven Pillars of Wisdom, all those things that I've always wanted to um, read. But now with emails and Wi-Fi on the train, it's just like... problem with email, emails. and it is, it, we all know um, that, the, that it's, it's really difficult, is that the more you do and the more responsive you are, the more you have yeah, to become. exactly. So I've definitely got a kind of feeling that I have a reputation, probably just in my own mind, for being responsive and yeah, polite. Yeah. And, and it becomes a rob for your own back. <laughs> yes. Well, I only, I try and do them in chunks so that I do them on the train home in the evening. And then I'll do, I'll probably, you know, often sit at home and do them in the evening, listen to some music. And I, you know, otherwise you just get sucked into that kind of ping-pong email thing. I know, One I know. phone call would so, you know, sort this out. But then know. it is incredibly rude not responding to people on email. And it is a useful thing. I oh, think yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. You I know. know it is, yeah. But you don't have to you know, respond at 11 o'clock at night. You know, that's the thing. No, no, you don't. And you um, don't. I do tell you know, all the people who work for us that you know, just because I reply, I send an email at 11... Doesn't mean I, you have to respond. No, or at the weekend. I it say just the same thing. You know, because I think people kind of get worried that, oh, God, he sent me an email, I need to reply. But it's fine. It just happens to suit my lifestyle that, I'll, you know, my wife will be watching something on telly and I'd rather be sitting there listening to some music. So I do that and do some emails at the same time. It suits me fine. So at House House, are yes. the, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of records, CDs. Um, it's quite, I mean, by any normal standards, yes, there are quite a few. Yeah, but I, I'm not a huge collector because, you know, I've got record shops and if I want to listen to something, some things, if I take a record home or a CD home, that's because I want to listen to it at home. And there's other things that, you know, I'm quite happy to listen to them, but I don't, I can listen to them here, you know, in the shop. You're so. not compelled to have a, a library as such. No, no. There are. I mean, there are some things. I suppose Bob Dylan. I'm quite keen on, but even his new his new one, I couldn't take that home. No, <laughs> you know. I, I bought that from you. Yeah, it's I did say. One, one of the top <laughs> ten worst purchases I've made from you. I, I did think. tell you. I did try and you say did, to you, you. You know, you did actually. You and, did. Um, I couldn't even get through the, you know, the first CD of that. Um, so no, I don't. And unlike Sean, who needs to have you know white label versions, you know Japanese versions, French versions, you know stuff like that. I don't need that. You no, know, you know, no. it's nice sometimes to have you know different versions of something. But generally speaking, actually, you know, I'm fine. So a couple of just a couple of um, uh, just a, a few kind of questions to wind up, Nigel. What's the um, what's the most exciting band that's ever played in Rough Trade for you? For me. Um, well, I suppose, I mean, we've had some amazing bands play in the shops over the years. Um, I mean, the Beastie Boys playing in Slam City Skates and Neil's Yard. I mean, that was so cool. You know, we've still got some of the tickets. I mean, that was amazing. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we've had people like, you know, Jeff Buckley play there and um, PJ Harvey and, you know, Hole played there. I mean, Radiohead almost played there but had to move. Um, but then... You know, one of my favourites was Sharon Van Etten. And the first time she played in the shop, she played at East under the mezzanine at lunchtime, just her and her guitar, few people there. Next time she played at East with the album came out, there's a few more people there. And then last time she played, it was just like crazy in there, really busy. And she was still the same Sharon. She's still really lovely, bringing her gear herself. It's just great to see these people as they kind of build up and they still come back to us and they still look after us and you know we look after them as well yeah isn't that so, lovely that's really she nice was so nice yeah and, you know she was humping her own gear and just the same person as the person who played under the mezzanine to just a few people yeah that is know. amazing and and um so give give us a, a recommendation what book have you read recently that you've loved um i'm reading the deep south by paul theroux at the moment are you enjoying it i love it it is so scary, though. Have you read it? No, it's, um, no, so it's, I, I will, though. He, I mean, I've always liked his writing. And um, he, went, he went down to the south, southern states of America. This was before Donald Trump was um, elected. So in back 13, 2013, 14. And you just can just see these things coming. The way the, sort of, like, the black communities and those towns in the south are just totally separate. America is so unequal at the moment it is quite scary I think you know and it's, it's it seems to I mean you know I only go there to New York and I suppose that's different but it just seems to me the southern states are just so racial still so racially segregated so fractured, you know? yeah. and, you know and they're talking about schools that are ostensibly mixed schools but they're not you know and this is so recent, guys. Well, know, I mean, it, yes, segregation carried on till the mid seventies. Yeah, it? and it's still. Yeah. I mean, it's from the this book, it sounds like it still is. You know, my daughter is in Washington D.C. at the moment. She went to the Museum of African American Culture or something like that in D.C. And she, had, she said she was the, the only white person there in the museum, apart from two other Brits who were there, who she was talking to. And you know, that kind of 
I mean, I know. That so says I mean, it all. Well, that it says does. A lot. Yeah. I mean, it really does. Yeah. You know, you just think, oh, I mean, you know, I think it's quite scary, really. Yeah. And, and, and what's your um, record recommendation? What's your favourite record of this year, new records so far? Um, oh my god, uh, I'm just this, this new Sam Baker record which has just come in. What I sort of music him. is country? Okay, he's a bit like Towns Van Zandt, he's from Texas. He was caught up in a um, in a bomb blast in Peru a few years ago. He's an architect, I think, and he's and he was caught up in this bomb blast. And the boy sitting next to him was killed. And so he did this kind of this three album set of you know songs about that, really, not just about that. Um, but he's one of my favourites. Brilliant. Okay, that's a great recommendation. I mean, Thanks. he's just so good. But it is that kind of. It's pretty. It's, it's a bit like um, Richmond Fontaine or the Delines. It's these kind of stories of of you know people in America really sad. Not sad stories, but you know. Yes, that's melancholy stories. stories. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. Well, thanks so much, Nigel. That's really brilliant. Brilliant. So that's Nigel House. Um, thank you very much, Nigel, for doing that. Um, really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. I think that it, it's, it's just worth reminding anyone who loves music that it is really important to go into an independent record store occasionally. Um, and for those of you that don't use them, if you think they're scary places full of cool people, then go to Rough Trade because I think Nigel's great passion above everything else is being nice to people and encouraging people to listen to new and interesting things. And, and that really, really is worthwhile supporting. So thank you very much for listening. I'll be back as soon as um, we can put together another episode, which won't, won't be very long, I hope a week or so. Thank you so much and see you soon. Bye. Bye.